But before we get to the message today, I want us to stop and take a few moments to pray for Israel. Uh, I woke yesterday to the news, as did you, of the attack by Hamas. I woke this morning to the news that in the northern part of Israel, Hezbollah has also begun an attack and uh, more than 600 Israelis have already died. Civilian Israelis uh, have already died. Uh, many more were taken captive and taken back over uh, into the Gaza Strip. And you, you can only imagine uh, what it must be like if you're in Israel right now, all the way to Tel Aviv, all the way to Jerusalem. Uh, it is a, a harrowing time in the life of Israel. Um, if you don't think that's a big deal, you don't know your Bible. And I don't expect you to if you're a new believer or you've only known the Lord a short amount of time, but if you've known Christ for any number of years, you should know that uh, the Abrahamic covenant says that those that bless the people of God, the people of Israel will be blessed, and those that curse the people of God, Israel, will be cursed. And we as a nation have traditionally stood with Israel. I'm not so sure about some of our politicians in uh, Congress at this particular point, uh, but I think most will do so. But we as a nation should be standing at the side of and assisting in ways that are appropriate Israel to defend herself against these attacks against her. If you, if you want to know, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes, if you want to know uh, God's timetable of how things are going to go down in the future, you always keep your eye on Israel. Israel is God's timepiece. And the Bible tells us we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I saw where a woman was being uh, taken uh, bloodied feet, barefooted, uh, in civilian clothes out of the back of a jeep and jammed into another vehicle, uh, several men in short pants uh, being manhandled and cruelly treated, uh, in addition to almost uh, 3,000 or so rockets and all that's going on in Israel. Every church in America, really every church in the world, today should be stopping to pray for Israel. Pray for their safety, pray for their strength, pray for their support, uh, pray for those that are the leaders of Israel, uh, that they will turn back uh, these monsters who want to destroy them. And by the way, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah are, are just uh, the expressions of some of these other nations that surround them. Uh, they are the puppets of these other nations that surround them that would lo love nothing more than to see Israel wiped off the map. Matter of fact, that is their stated purpose for some of them, to see Israel wiped off the map. And so I think it's appropriate for us as a church um, for us to stop and for us to pray for the people of Israel. I'm also going to be taking a little extra time today uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, to talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. Is this the beginning of the end? Is what we're watching uh, the forerunner of what's going to come? Could the coming of Jesus be very, very close? And the answer to that question is always yes, but 
when you're looking at the things that are unfolding. On my computer screen, I have a, a widget that has the, that has the news, the breaking news that uh, cycles through. And uh, when I woke up yesterday, the first thing on the breaking news was Israel's under attack. At that time, there was more than 300 that were killed, but the number has gone to over 600 by this morning, uh, civilians that have been killed. But right below it was in Lebanon, they had just had an earthquake. I think it was 6.4 earthquake in Lebanon. And I start thinking about Matthew 24 and 25, uh, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilences. Uh, We just uh, dealt with that, didn't we? 2020, pestilences, and these other things that are listed, and you begin to see them. I don't know if this is when Jesus is going to come or not, but I can tell you it will be like this when he comes, and maybe today. Maybe today will be the day. It'd be all right with me. It'd be okay with me. Let's bow our heads together. Just going to be silent here in the auditorium. Those of you that are watching online, there'll be no music playing. This is your opportunity online to stop where you are, to bow your head where you are, and to pray for Israel, pray for the leaders of Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. the very beginning your people have been hated there have been numerous nations peoples that have tried to destroy the Jewish people and yet Lord they are the ones that you chose sovereignly chose to be the vehicle through which you would deliver the Messiah into this world And you have promised to bless those that bless them and curse those that curse them. And today, Lord, we as believers in Jesus Christ in America stand with our friends, the Israelis. Lord, having visited there, having been moved one time when we were there from one hotel to another in the middle of the night, I can only imagine what it's like for the people who are there that live there listening to some of the stories that have been told over the last uh, day and a half two days uh, and listening to what they are experiencing some of those that are holed up in bomb shelters one dear lady who was separated from her father and her mother and knows that her father was kidnapped and has no idea where her mother is Lord It's hard for us to imagine that groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and some of these other surrounding nations can be filled with so much hate except that we live in a sin-cursed world and that you have said from the beginning that there would be those who would try to destroy the nation of Israel. But Lord, we know 
that you have a plan for them. You have a purpose for them. They are the apple of your eye. And we as believers in Christ, those of us who know the scripture, should be watching the clock. And Israel is that clock. We can see how you're working and where you're working and what you're doing, what you're preparing this world for just by staying observant to the nation of Israel. Or there's a lot of things that are in the, in the, in the wrong place today. Uh, Satan's in the wrong place. He needs to be locked up in hell forever. Your church is in the wrong place. We need to be raptured into your presence. Lord, Christ is in the wrong place. He needs to be here ruling and reigning. We want him here ruling and reigning. Lord, until that day, we pray that we will stand strong. We have some politicians that are in uh, Congress uh, who their first voice was to call for ceasefire rather than to call for Americans to stand with the Israelis and to allow them to defend themselves against those who want to destroy them. Lord, I pray that you will silence those politicians. And I pray that those who will stand with this great nation, your nation, I pray that they will stand up and be heard. And in the weakness of this administration, I pray, oh God, that you'll give us a president that'll do the right thing and say the right thing and stand with the nation of Israel. And for Benjamin Netanyahu and those uh, that are in the Knesset and those that are in the leadership of that land and those that are planning the military response, God guide them. We want we want to see civilian lives spared, but those who are the killers, we want, Lord, for you to destroy them. So, Lord, we ask now for your people. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray that the authority that you have given to nations, that Israel will exercise that authority today and they will defend themselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in your Bible with me this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 20 in just a few moments. I told you we were going to move quickly to the end of this book, the study of this book, but the longer I study in 1 Corinthians 15, the longer I want to stay here. And I didn't know early in the week why God was wanting me to stay at a particular section of 1 Corinthians 15, but now I do understand better what he was doing as he was leading me. You probably can remember traveling with your children when they were young. If you haven't traveled with young children, you were a young child at one time, you could probably remember traveling this way, but the children were expecting to be somewhere. You had told them you were going somewhere. They were expecting to be somewhere. And 
it didn't happen as quickly as they thought. And so along this journey, you likely heard at least once, probably more than once, something that goes like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Or maybe it wasn't a trip for you. Maybe it was some special occasion and uh, there's a gift that you said to your child, they'll be able to open at a certain time or maybe they could have cake at a particular time and they were waiting on that time but it just seemed like that time never came and they kept asking or they started asking and then kept asking, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Those kinds of questions, are we there yet? Is it time yet? Or where I want us to spend a, a little bit of time today trying to understand God's time frame of, of things that are going to unfold for the future. I'm only going to be looking specifically for any length of time at one particular part of this map that we are following or we're going to follow. But I want to show you the map, if I can, for just a moment. Beginning in verse 20, he says, But now Christ is risen from the dead. So if you're making notes, your first note should be his resurrection. And it should be verses 20 to 22, his resurrection. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so we know that by the resurrection of Jesus, there's going to be a great harvest of resurrections of those who are the children of the living God. Why do we need the resurrection? Well, verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Because Adam introduced sin and his disobedience and the curse of sin into our world, and death passed upon all men because Adam sinned, we needed another man, the perfect sinless man, Jesus Christ, to come and to conquer death for us, which he did following his crucifixion and his burial. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all, that is all that are in Christ, shall be made alive. There is a resurrection day for all of the people of God. But each one in his own order. We talked about that a little in the last message, that the first resurrection is made up of several parts. It's like one football game that has four quarters. And the first resurrection involved the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruits. But it also includes the rapture of the church, which is all of us and all of our loved ones who have been living since Jesus came to us in Bethlehem and gave his life and rose again. There's another part of that resurrection that comes at the end of a seven years of tribulation of the Old Testament saints and the tribulation martyrs. And then there's a fourth part of that, which is a resurrection of those who come out of the millennium, who died during the millennium, each in his own order. The first resurrection, there's going to be, because Jesus rose, a resurrection for all of us who know him. He goes on, Christ the first fruits, afterward, afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. So if you're writing a second word down or a second phrase down, we move from his resurrection in verses 20 to 22 to his return in verse 23. 
What's going to bring about this first aspect of the first resurrection? It's going to be his coming. His coming for his church. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But then after verse 23 and before the opening of verse 24, there are a thousand and seven years, at least a thousand and seven years. That is, if Jesus came and raptured his church out of this world today, that means beginning at that point, there would be seven years of tribulation, then a thousand years of the kingdom. So there's at least a thousand and seven years between verses 23 and 24. Then he says, then comes the end. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power at the end of the kingdom age, when Jesus is ruling on this earth, he will put down that final uprising against him. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and he will take the kingdom and he will present it to the Father. And in the new heaven and the new earth, we will live forever and forever and forever. And everything that Eden was supposed to be and this earth was supposed to be, that new heaven and that new earth will be. But he has to first put an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Here's the third phrase if you're writing it down. For he must reign. Before he can present the kingdom to God the Father, he must reign. And so his resurrection, verses 20 to 22, his return, verse 23, his reign, verses 24 to 27, his reign. For he must reign till, how long must he reign? He has put all enemies under his feet. We'll talk more about that in a future message. But then notice the last of the enemies that has to be destroyed. He's already defeated it as if taking the stinger out of the bee so it can no longer harm you. One day he'll destroy the bee itself. He'll destroy death itself. Because the last enemy, verse 26, that will be destroyed is death. Death will be banished forever. It'll be destroyed forever and there will be no more death. To me, that sounds wonderful. I'll be glad for that day to come. And that is the order that's being laid out before us in the middle of this resurrection chapter. Everything about 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection, primarily about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as a result of the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of all of us who, are, who name the name of Christ, all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're all going to be resurrected. If we're dead, we'll be resurrected from the graves, wherever our bodies may be. If we're alive, we'll be changed in a moment and caught up into his presence. And all of that is a matter of the resurrection. What we're waiting for today is the coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there are no specific signs as to his coming. That is, coming, the coming for his church. It is what we call imminent. At any moment of any day, nothing needs to be fulfilled. Nothing else has to be done. It's just a matter of when God so chooses, Jesus will come and Jesus will rapture out of this world 
his church, all of the church-age believers since his resurrection, since the birth of the church in the book of Acts chapter 2, until that very last day, every believer in Jesus will be caught out of this world. The dead will be made alive. The living will be transformed and translated into his presence. And what we are waiting on today in this great timeline, waiting for the resurrection that will be ours, is the coming of Jesus Christ. And Though there are no signs for the resurrection, there are things that we know will happen immediately after, things like we are witnessing. Uh, in the Middle East, even today. And so you have to stop and you have to back up and you say, wow, you know, what is going on over there? Is this a precursor to what's going to be once we're gone? Is this just the beginning stages of something that's going to happen uh, in a much more pronounced way once we're out of here? What in the world is happening? And you have to look at Israel as God's timepiece, as God's clock, as to where we are in the great prophetic schedule, the great prophetic calendar. But what we are looking for and whom we are looking for, or who we are looking for today is Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus comes, he's going to take us out of this world. Now, the Bible is replete with this explanation. There are people who deny that reality. They say, well, there is no such thing as the rapture. I never read the word rapture in the church. That's just a foolish statement. That's just an ignorant statement. The word rapture might not be there, but the concept, because the word simply means to snatch away, a catching away, the whole concept and the whole idea of the catching away of the people of God is definitely all over the pages of your Bible. I want you to go on this little road trip with me for a few moments, and I'm going to walk you through a few scriptures, starting in Colossians chapter 3, and you need your Bible. I hope you brought a Bible with you today. You need your Bible because you want to see this for yourself. You don't want to just believe this preacher that he says that the Bible has a lot to say about the coming of Jesus Christ. I want you to see it for yourself in Colossians chapter 3. Notice what it says in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In other words, as followers of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is going to come one day, we're supposed to be living for more than just what this world has to offer us. There's supposed to be a greater motivation. There's supposed to be a deeper focus to our hearts and to our lives. Why would that be true? Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God when Christ, who is our life, I love that phrase, Christ, who is our life. Now notice the words, appears. Then you will also, here it is again, appear with him in glory. You hear what he says? In the book of Colossians, the, the Lord says, you need to get your mind on things above. You need to start thinking beyond this world. You need to start thinking about things that are eternal and not just temporal. As a matter of fact, I would say it this way we've heard the phrase so often, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. I have, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who fits that, that, that description. Maybe there is someone like that. Maybe you're that someone. What I discover is that we are so earthly minded, we are of little heavenly good. 
We are so focused on this world in which we live that we forget about the world where we're going to spend eternity forever and ever. And the day that Jesus appears, whether we're dead or alive, in that moment, we're going to be caught into his presence. We're going to be snatched out of this world and into his presence with a glorified body to live before him forever and forever in heaven and in that new heaven, in that new earth. And that is the promise of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes we spend too much time minding our own business. We spend too much time minding our own business. I've been told a thousand times, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Growing up, mind your own business. I had sisters older than me. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. The problem is we spend so much time minding our own business, we don't mind the business of the Almighty God. But there's coming a day when we'll regret that. It won't keep us out of heaven, but it'll keep us from the rewards that we could have earned and we could have enjoyed and we could have cast at his feet because we were so earthly-minded, we were of no heavenly good, we were so focused on our own lives and our own things that we never stopped to think about the eternal things. Because when Jesus comes, when Jesus appears, when he appears, by the way, the only ones who will see him when he appears this first time are the believers in Jesus. When he appears, he says, you will appear with him. Look with me, if you will, a few pages further into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I've read it what seems like a million times. That's an exaggeration but it seems like a million times standing beside a graveside as a body was about to be placed into the ground and a family to walk away, leaving their loved one there. Listen to what he says, chapter 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then... We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then he finishes out saying, comfort one another with these words. The reality that there is a day when Jesus is going to appear and we're going to appear with him. That the voice of the archangel, the trump of God is going to sound. And our loved ones are going to get up out of the graves and we're going to be translated into his presence is a comforting thought. It's a comforting promise. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God, the grace by which you've been saved, the grace by which you are kept forever, the grace that sustains you, the grace that strengthens you? Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Listen to verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that, by the way, the grace of God doesn't lead us to licentiousness. It doesn't, lead us to, it doesn't lead us to legalism either, but it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Boy, you don't hear that verse preached very often, do you? 
You ought to be living soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. But look at verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Zealous, zealous, zealous for good works. Do you see the words? The blessed hope of the believer. Hey, you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15? If in this world only you have hope, we are of all men the most pitiable that exist. We're the most miserable of all people that exist. But he says that's not the case for those of us who are the children of God. We have a blessed hope a hope of seeing Jesus when he appears, of being with him when he appears, of being delivered out of these sin-cursed bodies and out of this sin-cursed world and translated into his presence. As one old-time preacher we used to hear in Georgia would come and he would pull out of his back pocket his handkerchief and he'd wave it in the air like this while he was preaching. I'm talking about a guy up in his 80s, not an old guy like me. Up in his 80s, he's, he's, he's taking his handkerchief and around and around. He says, I'm not looking for the undertaker, he said. I'm looking for the upper taker. He didn't want to go through the grave any more than I want to go through the grave. And there is the blessed hope that even if we go to the grave, our loved ones get up from the grave. Notice, if you will, 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3. I'm going to read a little longer section here because there's a whole group of people there's a whole group of people, I hope they're watching me today, that mock me because I believe in a premillennial, pre-tribulational return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to come in that fashion. I mean, we've been 2,000 years. You say it's imminent that he could come at any moment of any day. Yeah, but imminent doesn't mean immediate. And God's timetable is not our timetable, but don't ever be deceived into thinking that he's not coming. It, from the beginning of the creation of man to the coming of Jesus was 4,000 years. We've only been a meager 2,000. It may be two minutes or two hours, or it may be two weeks or two months or two years or 200 years. But let me tell you, just as surely as Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of his first coming in Bethlehem, Jesus will fulfill the prophecies of his second coming for his church. He absolutely will. Beginning in verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 3, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, now listen, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, they willfully forget, they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, in other words, God was the creator, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word and reserved, by the way, the heavens and the earth are preserved, do you see it? 
So let me just stop here since I'm being a little bit political today anyway. I think we ought to be good stewards of the earth that God has given to us, and we ought to do reasonable things. Mankind cannot destroy this planet. God is the one who is preserving it. He has a plan for it. He goes on, preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In other words, God doesn't measure time like we measure time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When you hear people start mocking, oh, Jesus is not coming. It's 2,000 years. Hey, that's one sign that Jesus might just be around the corner. And do you know why? Do you know why he waits? Well, of course, he's the sovereign. He has a plan it's beyond my fullest comprehension, but one of the reasons he waits is because he waits on you to come to Jesus. Because not to know Jesus Christ, for Jesus to come means you will be left behind to face the most horrendous hell on earth called the tribulation and the great tribulation that has ever been known of any period, of any time. Nothing like it has ever been seen. Turn with, if you will, to 1 John chapter 3. Hey, are you beginning to see it? It's all over the pages of your Bible, and I'm only cho choosing some of the primary highlights. 1 John chapter 3. He says, Beloved, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. In other words, we don't know all that it means about we're going to have a glorified body. I mean, we can look at the body of Jesus and we can recognize that there's some kind of continuity. It's different, and yet it's the same. <laughs> Say, that can't be true. It can't be different and be the same. Uh, you, your mindset's not broad enough to understand what God's telling you. Jesus had a body. After the resurrection, they could touch his body. He could eat with them. He appeared in a room without having to open a door. He ascended to heaven without anybody helping him. I mean, there's something different about the body, but when they looked at him, they knew who he was. They knew his age. They, they saw him for who he was. When we get to heaven, by the way, we're going to know our loved ones. And those glorified bodies are going to be like the body of Jesus. Listen, he goes on. When he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When he's revealed, when's he going to be revealed? He's going to be revealed at that coming Look with me for a moment to Revelation 20, uh, verse 21, chapter 21, excuse me. Revelation chapter 20, well, tw chapter 22 is where I want you to be. No, I don't. I want you in 21. <laughs> and then I want you in 22. And then I want you to go buy my book on Revelation. <laughs> verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Hey, what's going to happen to the first heaven and the first earth? God's got a purpose for them. He's going, to, he's going to deal with it because he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He says there's no more sea. 
Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he then he who, spoke, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. When's he going to do that? He's going to do that after, after, at least a thousand and seven years after he's called us out of this world. But that brings you to chapter 22. And three times Jesus says something in the chapter. Notice at verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly. And you get to the end of verse 20, surely I am coming quickly. Quickly doesn't mean immediately. Quickly means exactly what it says. Quickly. When he comes, it'll be quick. But the point is, I'm coming. I'm coming. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Right in the middle of a chapter about the resurrection, the Apostle Paul stops and says, listen, let me tell you how this unfolds going forward so you'll have some understanding of when the resurrection of your loved ones is going to take place. And he says it's going to come at his coming. It's going to happen at his coming. When Jesus appears in the sky above us, suddenly we're going to appear with him. And it's not meant to be something that's just frightening It's meant to be something that's delightful. I realize if you're young today, you're probably like I was when I was a young person. I said to the Lord on more than one occasion, Lord, don't come yet. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to be able to have a pastorate. I still want to get married and still want to have children, but Maybe I might not have asked that last one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to be a pastor one day. Lord, I, I've got dreams, and I want to see my dreams fulfilled. I understand if you're young, you have ambition. But I want to tell you, you come as you, as you grow through life and you mature through life, you come to understand how delightful it will be one day to see Jesus face to face. And so instead of looking at it as something fearful, think of it in these terms. When I would take my family home to Georgia. My dad and mother were still living. I take my family home to Georgia. When I drive up in the driveway, my dad would be standing there. And there is nothing. My mother would come out immediately. There's nothing like being welcomed by your family when you come home. Can I tell you that when he appears and we appear with him, it's going to be like seeing family and wanting to embrace one another and to be with one another. And every time I turned my car around and I pointed it back to West Virginia many times, not every time, but many times I wept tears as I drove away from my aging parents knowing that I wanted to be with them as long as possible. But to see them and to be with them was a delight. When Jesus appears, friends, you know, people use the rapture as something to be frightful of, something to be scared of, and I understand the significance of what happens afterwards, but it's really supposed to be something that we as Christians delight in. We're going to see our Father. We're going to see our Father face to face. 
in a brand new body. And we won't ever have to turn the car around and ever drive away ever again. The next thing on the great calendar of God is the rapture of the church. And I remind you that Jesus is coming. You're watching in Israel things that are unfolding in Israel things that are going to happen in a much more pronounced way after the Lord comes for his church and calls us out of this world and the tribulation is on the face of this earth. But I want to tell you something. When you start seeing these kind of things occurring, when you start understanding what's going on, you can't help but stop and ask the question, is this just the precursor? Maybe the rapture is just around the corner. Maybe it's before we finish this day. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. To be caught into his presence and to be with him in a glorified body, ultimately to be in the kingdom and then finally to be in that new heaven and the new earth, it can't come fast enough. And if you're too young to realize that yet, just give yourself time. Maybe God will give you the years that he's given me. Maybe God will call you. But once you see him face to face, all the fear and all the anxiety about your future will go away because in that moment you'll see your father and you'll know. Listen, heaven's not a place where we're in in the kingdom to come and the new heaven and the new, new earth to come are not a place where we float on a cloud and we strum a harp and that's all we do for all eternity. It's going to be a place where we love each other and we serve God and we live in what God intended this world to be from the beginning. But first, he's got to come call us. I uh, was thinking about this, decided just to park here today. Rather than moving forward, just to park here today. And um, I was thinking back in 1972... You said, that's the dark ages, isn't it? Yeah. For some of you, that's the dark ages. There was a movie that came out. I'll just tell you, it was a Christian movie. It was one of the early Christian movies. It didn't even, it, you know, you got A-list movies and B-list movies. I mean, this didn't even make an A-B-list. A Thief in the Night. How many of you ever saw the movie A Thief in the Night? A Thief in the Night. Not very well acted. Uh, a lot of truth in it about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I went back and found it on YouTube this past week, and I watched it again. And then there's three sequels that come after it. If you're looking for something of interest, go go watch it. But the song they used to sing in that movie says this, Life was filled with guns and war, and all of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. And there's no time to change your mind, the sun has come and you've been left behind. A man and wife asleep in bed, she hears a noise, turns her head, he's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill, one disappears, one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. And there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. And then it says it again. And there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. 
It starts with a young woman waking up from sleep by a clock that's ticking. You hear it ticking, ticking, ticking. An alarm clock, not like any alarm clock that we have today. It's ticking, and it's going to ring very soon. And she wakes up before it rings. She and her friends hear the gospel message. She and other of her friends reject the gospel message. Only a very few receive it. And it takes you all the way through to that moment when Jesus comes and he calls his children out of this world. And then it gives you a brief glimpse into what the tribulation may well be like that follows it. You say, Pastor, why do you preach so much about salvation? It's not just because you're going to die. It's because if Jesus comes and you're not saved when he comes, you're going to be left behind. And you're going to have to face what's going on on this earth in that terrible tribulation. And those of you that have had the opportunity to hear the gospel, the book of Thessalonians says you'll be sent a lie. You'll believe the lie rather than believe the truth. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. This is the moment to get your life right with God. And if you're already right with God as his child, this is your moment to start living soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I've told this story before, and I'll tell it again today. When I was 15, I was dumb. Actually, when I was a lot older than that, I've been dumb at times. I had two friends. Scott was one of those friends that was about three years older than I was. I was 15, he was, so he was about almost 18. Tommy was in the middle of the two of us, and we played golf all the time. Anytime we got out of school and had time to play golf, we played golf. Summertime, Scott drove us all over, the, all over the city of Atlanta to get on as many golf courses as we could to play as much golf as possible. But they also introduced me to cigarettes. I didn't smoke very many. Uh, like one of our presidents, maybe more than once, I didn't inhale. <laughs> and his wasn't a cigarette. We thought we were so cool. We thought we were so smart. I mean, don't we look tough smoking a cigarette, standing on a golf course, hit a good shot and flip the, the butt of the cigarette over there. Man, aren't, aren't we something? How stupid. Smoking is just stupid. Whether you do it recreationally or you do it constantly, it's just stupid. One day I was home alone and I was trying to smoke a cigarette and I thought, I can't do this in the house. So I went to the detached garage and lit up a cigarette and I smoked a little bit of that cigarette and opened the garage door and left. My daddy came home and he found the smell of that cigarette and I'll never forget. He found me. <laughs> he said, what have you been doing, David? I said, oh, nothing, Dad, nothing, Dad. I hadn't been doing anything. Yeah, oh, yeah, you have. I just came from the garage. What have you been doing, David? You smoked a cigarette, didn't you? I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And then, you, you know, when you're 15, you try not to cry, but you don't want to get in trouble either, so you start crying. You know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Dad. I told you I was just stupid. You're stupid if you smoke cigarettes or any other kind of things of that nature. 
And then he told me, he said, because I asked him to forgive me, he said, I won't tell your mother if you'll never smoke another one. <laughs> the last person on the planet, planet, more than the Lord himself, I did not want my mother to know that I had smoked a cigarette. Say, what's your point, Pastor? You live righteously and soberly and godly in this present world because you don't want your father to come and find you doing things that would be dishonorable to him. But part of the means of, of the uh, not acknowledging that Jesus is going to appear is the recognition that every day I'm living with that reality. It could be today. It could be this moment. It could be before this day is over. It could be before... And you stop and you start thinking about how you're living. I don't want him to find me doing something that would dishonor him when he came. As a matter of fact, 1 John says, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. The reason why we have, you know why we have so few pure Christians? Because so, so few Christians live with the reality that Jesus could come. It's not just death you've got to think about. It's the coming of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you'll be left behind. And if you do know Jesus Christ, your father, you want your father to find you doing that which pleases him. Not that which displeases him. You don't want him to walk into your smoke-filled garage and say, what were you doing? This past week, I... Uh, I got a devotional that came to me. And I read the first page, the first two pages of it, and I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to finish. And I want you to listen carefully to what it says. Listen carefully. If I can get it in order here. Imagine, don't put your Bible up. Y'all, they got zippers on these Bibles. I know when you're putting them up. I don't know who you are. But I can hear them. <laughs> hey, by the way, I'm going to stop and say, thank you for bringing a Bible. <laughs> but just don't zip it up till I'm finished. <laughs> the author writes, imagine a moment. Imagine a moment coming soon to our planet that will change everything and everyone forever. Imagine ambivalent, unaware people conducting their business, scurrying around, trying to make sense of their lives. Depending on where you look on our globe, the scene may be very different, yet in many ways it's the same. All over the world that day, billions will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, celebrating birthdays, battling sickness, digging graves. People will be getting up or going to bed, working or playing, enjoying their pleasures or indulging their vices. What will people think when that moment comes? I wonder what the headlines will be on the morning of that day. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, loud voices deceiving many, new laws, old lies, new dilemmas. Nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Parts of the world may report an earthquake, a famine, or a plague. Will the news be written by artificial intelligence? Will people be able to tell the truth from fiction? I wonder what the weather will be that day. Sunny in one place, cloudy in another. 
Something is about to happen in disguise. If only people would look up in expectation. In the unseen realms, the glory of the Lord is gathering. The angels are assembling, and the skies are preparing to part. But most people will be looking down at their phones, addicted to the newest messages or oldest sins. I wonder what Christians will be doing that day. Will they be as surprised as everyone else when the rapture occurs? Will they be eager, ready, and waiting? Can't you see the masses moving about as usual? Millions of people walking around all day on the streets of New York, Tokyo, Mumbai, worried about their money, wondering about their relationships, anxious about their images, following the world's stock markets, the latest music, the latest sports scores. It will be an ordinary day on this globe until suddenly it isn't. Gone in a flash, more powerful than an atomic burst, yet silent, invisible, sudden, inexplicable. Try to imagine this extraordinary moment on planet Earth. Every single follower of Jesus Christ, as well as those under the age of accountability, all the babies, young children, mentally disabled, gone in a flash, along with all those who have died in Christ. Bodies will disappear from their coffins at funeral homes all over the world. Patients will vanish from hospital beds, babies from their cribs, children from their classrooms. Imagine cars flying down the freeway with missing drivers, planes with missing pilots, nuclear submarines with missing commanders, nations with missing leaders, and parents with missing children. In various parts of the world, Christian organizations or Christian congregations will be meeting for worship. Suddenly the building will be empty or nearly so as the churches resume their services in the sky. Soldiers will be missing in action. Emergency responders will find their numbers depleted. Prisons will be partially depopulated, especially those filled with Christians under persecution. News reports, news reports will spread like wildfire, but the Christian press will be strangely silent. There'll be no believers to report the news. People will frantically search for their loved ones, but phone calls will go to voicemail and texts will be unanswered. In today's world, just one missing person case can grip the nation. What about a billion? What will people think? What panic, will, what panic will they feel? What theories will they embrace? But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who were fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. Oh, my friends, he's coming. Jesus is coming.